So good to have you in worship today as we get into the Word of God. I want to greet you this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I've been told that uh, some of you are watching from all over Wayne County, Goldsboro, Fremont, Pikeville, Selma, all over the place, uh, but not just right here in North Carolina, but Virginia is in the house, Georgia's in the house, Tennessee's in the house, Ohio is in the house, Michigan is in the house. So glad that you guys are here as we lean into God's Word for just a few moments and see if the Holy Spirit won't speak into our lives some very important truths that will help us to live out our Christian faith. We're kicking off, as you saw from the video, we're kicking off a whole new series today. We're calling Felt Board Faith Tagline Stories from Our Childhood. In the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a fresh look at some of the Bible stories that, that are really well known. Frankly, whether you have a church background or not, these stories are really well known. They're used in all kinds of literature, in all kinds of places. But my goal in this series is not just to kind of reminisce those stories or rehearse them. It's really to, to, to dig in and try to find the principles from those stories that apply to our lives today. And so today we begin that series with Jonah and the big fish. You know the basics of the story. No doubt you've seen them. They're really simple. Jonah's a guy who doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. And the result is he runs from God and his call and he winds up in the belly of a big fish for three days. Yuck. And then the fish finally vomits him up at the place that he was supposed to go from the very beginning in the first place. That's kind of the story the backdrop for what we're going to be dealing with today, and obviously there's a lot more to the story than that. So let's lean in. Let's see in just a few minutes if we can learn from Jonah's experience. If you want to follow along with the notes, you can go to the Bridge NC app. You can download that app and go over to notes and all of the notes that, uh, that I'll be sharing with you today, the scriptures and the points are there. You can, in fact, save that to your journal and take your own notes right there, or you can email me at info at bridgechurch.cc, and I'd be glad to send you the manuscript. I'd be glad to send you the very notes that I'm using as I share with you this morning. Bottom line, however you do it, got your print Bible in your hand. Let's go to the book of Jonah. We're going to be focusing in chapter 1, first part of chapter 2 today, and, uh, and let's just see what we can learn that applies to the principles of our lives. So let's get started with a little background. Jonah chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, 2, and first part of verse 3. Here we go. One day the Lord told Jonah, the son of Amittai, to go to the great city of Nineveh and say to the people, the Lord has seen your terrible sins, you are doomed. Instead, Jonah ran away from the Lord. So you got the backdrop right up front. We've got three key players in the story. Do you see the three? Jonah, of course, is the main player. He is God's prophet uh, to the nation of Israel at that time, and he often did what was right until finally God told him to do something he didn't want to do. What I want you to know is that the, the word Jonah, the name Jonah in Hebrew actually means dove or peace, which means that Jonah was called as a prophet to be an agent of peace, to be an agent of, of reconciliation. The problem is because of his disobedience, he's not known as the agent of reconciliation today. History calls him the reluctant prophet. Amittai is the second player in our story. That's, of course, Jonah's father. And Amittai means truth. That tells me that not only is Jonah an agent of peace or reconciliation, but he comes from a legacy of truth. But because of his response to God's call, he wound up squandering both his call and his legacy. The third 
key player in our story, of course, is the city of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, which was at one point Israel's worst nightmare. We're going to explore a little bit more about Nineveh and Assyria in just a couple of minutes. But, but let's just make sure you're tracking because I want you to go through the story with me, okay? Jonah's called to be an agent of peace and reconciliation. God tells him to go to these horrible people called the Ninevites to challenge them to be reconciled with God, but he, he squanders his calling, he squanders his father's legacy, all because he didn't do what God told him to do. Now, we got to stop before we move on. Now, did I mention we're not here to reminisce the stories? We're here to pull these principles out. Before we get too hard on Jonah, how did verse 1 open? One day the Lord told Jonah to fill in the blank. I think it's fair to say that every one of us <coughs> could insert our name in there if we would. One day the Lord told Jim. One day the Lord told Sally. One day the Lord told Ed. You insert your name in there. God is still speaking, and God has spoken to all of us. And let's be honest, every one of us have been in those moments when God's voice told us to do something or go somewhere that we really didn't want to do or where we really didn't want to go, and resistance came uh, really strong right after that. You with me? Do your heads like this right there at home. Do your heads like this. It's true. Well, wait a minute, PJ, are, are, are you telling me that God still speaks? I said, yes, actually, that's exactly what I'm telling you. In fact, we kicked off 2020 with a series that we called Sound On where we identified the six main ways in Scripture that God does speak. Let me rehearse them quickly. You can write to me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'd be glad to send you uh, the manuscripts for that full message if you want, but the Bible says that he rarely speaks audibly. I wouldn't count on it, but it does happen in Scripture, therefore we'll mention it. He occasionally speaks in dreams. I wouldn't trust a dream unless I have corroboration, but sometimes he does. Sometimes through ideas or impressions, often through fellow Christians, and always, God always, always, always speaks through his word. In fact, I'll just simply say, if, if you hear something that doesn't line up with the word of God, then it ain't from God. Bottom line, he's not going to say something to you that contradicts what he's already written to you. But by whatever method, our God is a speaking God. The only question is, are we a listening people? Jesus said in John chapter 27, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. In other words, there's no question that he is speaking. The only questions we have to ask ourselves are, am I one of his sheep, and is he my shepherd, i.e., my Lord, my commander-in-chief? Am I listening? Am I following? So I want you to keep those key questions in mind as we pull simply four principles out of this story about running from God. I want you to ask yourself as you listen through this, am I one of his sheep and is he actually my shepherd, my Lord, my commander in chief? Let's get into it. Four simple principles. Won't keep you long, but maybe some poignant truths for each of us to reflect on. Principle number one, when he is your shepherd, you can be sure that God will ask you to do some things that you're not going to want to do. 
He will ask you to do some things you don't want to do. It might be do something. It might be go somewhere. It might be change something that you're doing or where you're doing it. It might be quit something that you're doing. It might be end a dysfunctional relationship. It might be forgive someone that you don't think you're ready to forgive. But if you are his sheep and he is your shepherd, he's going to tell you to do some things along the way that your initial reaction will be, I don't want to do that. Ah, I'm not sure I want to do that. Of course, Jonah had his reasons. But in my experience, can I tell you the number one reason that most of us say, I don't want to do it? I think most of us go there because we We don't want to do what God told us to do because we already believe we know what's best. We've already got a vision for our future and what God's telling us to do doesn't fit that vision and we think we already have the best idea of our future. So the result is we struggle to follow what he said. Let me, let me illustrate it. Okay, let's do a little poll right there at home. Uh, which is the best ice cream, chocolate or vanilla? How many of you would say chocolate? How many of you would say vanilla? Just put it right there in the comment box if you're watching on Facebook or on the live stream. Just from chocolate or vanilla. You know, just tell me, boom, boom, boom. How many say chocolate? How many say vanilla? Uh, it's vanilla all the way, right? Vanilla all the way. Some of you voted twice. That's not fair. It's not November yet. Forget I said that. Edit that out of the tape, okay? Uh, so which is best? Who wins? Well, the best is caramel, butter, pecan, praline, of course. What? what did, you didn't... You didn't tell me that was an option. That's my point. Quite often, God sees what's down the road. He sees the big picture. He sees the full context. And so when he calls you to do something that you're resistant to do, you think you're choosing between vanilla or chocolate when in fact he's got something amazing that you're not even aware of yet, ready for you, but you have to follow him for it to become a reality. Let me illustrate it another way. True story from the first church that Kim and I pastored when we were first married in Pender County, North Carolina. There was a father there who took his son on his first deer hunt. Down by the Northeast River, Pender County, high population of deer in that region. And uh, occasionally they would have doe season, but, but oftentimes it was just buck season. And the day that he took his son was only buck day. And so he told his son, okay, I'm going to put you on this ridge. I'm going to go down to the next ridge. And, and if a deer runs by, don't you shoot a doe. You make sure it's got antlers before you pull the trigger. And so his dad goes far enough away that it's safe, but close enough that he can still see him. And sure enough, a, a, a doe runs by the dad and runs down to where the boy was. And the dad says, boy, there's a deer coming, but it's a doe, don't shoot. A second later, the boy picked up his gun. The dad said, boy, don't you shoot that doe. Put his gun down. Raised his gun up again. Boy, I'm telling you, don't you shoot that doe. There's a big fine for shooting does. Don't you dare shoot that doe. Put his gun down. He, after a minute, he, he picked his gun back up again. And over and over and over again, dad said, he'd pick up his gun. His dad said, don't shoot that doe. And finally, he picked up his gun and he pulled the trigger. And his dad came running. Boy, I told you not to shoot that doe. I told you not to do that. Why in the world did you pull that trigger? And when he got there, there was a bear dead right at his son's feet. True story. You see, dad couldn't see the bear coming, and the boy was conflicted between, do I, do I obey my dad because he's going to kill me if I do the wrong thing, or do I let this bear take me out? Sometimes we don't have the full context when we're giving our commands or we're receiving our commands. We're deciding what to do. 
So let's go back to Jonah. The question is, why wouldn't he want to obey God? I mean, he's called to be a prophet of reconciliation. God's saying, I want you to go tell the Ninevites the judgment's coming if they don't turn around. That, that's what reconciliation's all about, right? And he has a legacy of truth, so he's a truth teller for generations in his family. I think probably the likely answer is because the Ninevites, the, the Assyrians, were horrible people. I mean, they were just horrible people. I won't go into detail because there's kids in the room, but uh, uh, suffice it to say that they did every horrible act you could think of uh, everywhere that they went. They would wreak havoc, and they did horrible things uh, to people. In fact, some historians say that their reputation was so brutal that entire villages, when they found out the Assyrians would come, were coming, would enter into a suicide pact. They'd rather die by their own hand than face what the Assyrians were going to do when they got there. So you just understanding that about the Ninevites, you can understand why Jonah perhaps didn't want to go. He may even have had a relative who experienced some of that brutality. I don't know, but God said, I want you to go there and tell them the truth. And in his mind, hear me, lean in, in his mind, he had rational reasons not to go. He knew what God told him, but he had rational reasons not to go. And again, I suspect it's not real hard for us to relate to this because we've all had those times when God told us to go, to do, to say something, and we've had all kinds of rational arguments why we would if we could, but we can't, we really shouldn't, or we will after this. We can rationalize all kinds of things even when we know we've heard the direct command of God. So I guess the question I'm asking you before we go on with the story is what's your Nineveh? Maybe somebody wronged you and God's telling you to go forgive them. And you're thinking, no, that, that, they don't deserve to be forgiven. No, I, I have to process this some more. Before. Uh, I don't feel like being a forgiver. No, I'm not going to forgive. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's some of the tensions that are going on in our nation and, and whatever you, your ethnic makeup, your, your, your reality is focused more in your own racial lines and understanding other racial understandings is hard for you, but you've made up your mind. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to go try to understand more. I already, I already know what I know. I already decided what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. You've already made up your mind. Whatever it is that God's telling you to do, we can all come up with rational reasons not to do them, but understand rationalize is the same thing as saying telling myself rational lies. Whatever your story, there's a bit of Jonah in all of us is what I'm saying. So can I tell you two things that I've learned about the call of God in my years of serving him and walking with him? Two things that are consistent. Whatever that call is, whatever that direction is, there's two things that I found to be true. One, I, I just simply call anxious and astonished. I still remember the day I was reading through the Gospels and it, and it, it struck me that those people who followed Jesus while he was here on earth used those two words a lot. I mean, just a lot. Luke chapter 2, when he was 12, they were astonished by his teaching. Luke chapter 
8, they were anxious about the crowds that were gathering and they were astonished by the miracles that he did. Soon after he faced all kinds of opposition and they were anxious about that. I mean, just over and over, anxious and astonished, anxious and astonished. And it occurred to me on that day, if I'm not astonished every now and then by something that I see God doing or if I'm not anxious now and then about what he's called me to do next, Maybe somewhere along the way I stop following Jesus. Christianity is not this safe, hold the fort for I am coming kind of thing. Hide me in the cleft of the rock till you get here. That's not what it is. It's a buckle your seatbelt, make a difference in the world kind of faith. So anxious and astonishment, anxiousness and astonishment are going to be part of the call of God. Embrace it. The second thing that I've learned about the call of God is delayed obedience is not really obedience at all. Delayed obedience is not really obedience at all. We're called to a life of faith, not fear. If we eventually obey because we're afraid not to, then what does that say, actually? I mean, when, when our boys were growing up, and even with our grandkids now, uh, sometimes we'll tell our grandkids, uh, to do something, and they're so glued to the video game or the TV, they don't even hear us. So we tell them again, raise our voices and tell them again, and, and we might get up or a, or a whine or a grunt or something. Finally, we threaten them, if you don't get moving, you're never going to watch TV again, or you're grounded for life, or that video game's going in the closet. And finally, okay, I will. Okay, I will. Question. Are they obeying me because they trust me? Are they obeying me because they know that what I have in mind for them is the right thing to do? Or are they obeying simply because they want to avoid the punishment that's going to come if they don't? Hear me, guys. The real measure of our faith in Jesus Christ is not even if we obey. The real measure is the lag time between hearing God's voice and obeying his direction. Let's pick up our story in verse 3. Jonah went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to, to flee from the Lord, which exposes our second principle about running from God, and that is simply when you decide to run from God's call, God's will, God's direction, God's voice, you can always find a boat going in the opposite direction. You can always find a boat going in the opposite direction. Understand, Nineveh was to the east of Jonah's current position, and Tarshish was to the west of, God's, uh, of his current position. In fact, it was 2,500 miles to the west, and considering travel back then, you'd take a ship, you'd have to go to port, sometimes wait until after winter to get the next ship, and, and then you go to port, and you wait for another cargo ship to come by. One commentary said it would have taken him at least a year to get to Tarshish, to travel that distance, and that's important detail because, again, before we give Jonah too hard a time, I dare say that some of us have been in that position. Maybe some of you right now, are, are you look normal, you look happy, you look fine, you're going through life, you're going to church, you're writing your tithe check, you're, you may be serving in bridge kids, but the truth be known, you've been running from God's voice for more than a year. Maybe for a very long time. You know what God called you to do. And you've been rationalizing it away 
Oh, you have lots of reasons for it. But you've been headed in the wrong direction for a long time. I'm not necessarily talking about bad things. There may be good things. So there are things that, that have kept you from stepping out and stepping up and obeying the voice of God in faith. In fact, I've found that every time God has called me to a new direction, a new thing, there always seems to be some good-looking boat presented. There seems to be something sitting right there to say, yeah, come on, go with me. I'll take you in the opposite direction. I could give you so many examples of that through my life. I call it the golden parachute. Something will come along. I mean, when we were first called to the Philippines, I wrestled with God for a while with that thing, and I remember saying to him, God, I just started pastoring this church. They just built a 3,000-square-foot parsonage, and we're the first family to live in it. I'm already serving you. Tell me I don't have to go to the other side of the world and live in the third world. Come on, tell me. And, and so there was this opportunity to have this very comfortable situation. Late 80s, we came back from the Philippines ready to plant a church in Virginia and with all the risks that are inherent, what if nobody shows up, all that stuff that's associated with starting a new church. And just before we packed up to go to Virginia, a church right here in Wayne County called me and said, we need a pastor, we'd like for you to consider coming. And they offered me a parsonage and a salary and position. And it's like, uh... There's nothing wrong with either one of those things, living in that nice parsonage the first church built or, or accepting the pastorate of the second church. They were both great churches. That's not the point. The point is simply that they would have taken me in the wrong direction. So don't be surprised when you get a sense of direction from the Lord that other opportunities are going to pop up and some of them will be good-looking opportunities, but don't be fooled by them. You need to know that anytime you disobey God's call for whatever reason, you end up going in the wrong direction, which means that you will get further and further and further away from him in the journey, which leads us to the third principle of running, and that is that when you run, God loves you enough to send a storm to get your attention. A few minutes ago, I mentioned that the Bible lists six ways that God speaks. I don't know if you noticed, but I only mentioned five. Rarely audible, occasionally dreams, sometimes ideas, often other believers, always his word. But there is a sixth way. If all else fails, if he can't get your attention any other way, God will speak to you through a storm. Look at Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. In other words, this huge storm that was so big that even the seasoned sailors were getting scared, and they, they finally start throwing the precious cargo, the very reason that they're out there. They're throwing that off in order to lighten the ship because they're afraid that they're going to sink. And it finally dawns on them in the midst of this, this is such an unusual storm that this is a, this is a supernatural event going on. There's some, somebody's done something that's caused this. And so they start looking around and eventually center on Jonah. And they say, Jonah, who are you? Where are you from? What's the deal with this thing? Jonah, in verse 9 and 10, Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified the sailors and they asked, what have you done? 
what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. He said, man, what in the world have you done? You see the calamity that you've brought on us? Even these pagan sailors, if you noticed in verse 4, it said that they each cried out to his own God. It was a lowercase g, which means it ain't, they weren't talking to God. They were talking to their idols, to whatever else. The, even those pagan sailors understood that the God of the universe was trying to get Jonah's attention. And you need to know that sometimes the only way he can get our attention in order to warn us from an even worse fate is to allow temporary difficulty to come. What I want you to understand is it's called discipline. Discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. That word discipline comes from the same root word as the word disciple. He's making a disciple. He's training, directing a disciple with discipline. He goes on to say, discipline is not an angry thing. It's an indication of love. It's something, he says, that any loving father would do. Pick it up in verse 10. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. What's God's discipline for? Do you see three things in that passage? It's for our good. It's so that we can share in his holiness, and it's so that that we can have a harvest of righteousness in our lives. One of the sad realities of our times, guys, is that discipline's become a dirty word. If I'm honest, I've lived long enough to watch a generation be raised, maybe even two generations be raised, where we're hesitant to discipline, even reticent about discipline. Political pressure not to discipline too harshly. We've raised a generation that's become resistant to all authority because they don't understand how to respond to appropriate authority. And I'll be honest, we pastors haven't helped in a lot of ways because our prevailing message has been, uh, you know, living for Jesus is about being blessed. Living for Jesus is about abundance and it's about this wonderful life that comes when you follow Christ and all of that is true. But hear me guys, our, love, our God is a loving God and sometimes love means blessings, giving good gifts to his children and sometimes love means discipline. Sometimes it means correction. And what happens when he corrects us? It produces a chance to share in his holiness, and it produces a harvest of righteousness. Hear me, guys. Hear me, please. Hear my heart when I tell you God cares more about holiness than happiness. Happiness comes and goes with the current happenstance. Holiness goes into eternity. He cares more about your character than he does your comfort. Because at the end of the day, the only two things you can take into eternity are the relationships that you have with others who have accepted Christ and your character, which will ultimately determine the level of reward you receive there. So if he has to allow difficulties to come into our lives to bring us back because we're headed in the wrong direction, he will. It's the loving thing to do. I love my grandkids. I love having them visit 
They've been here, three of my grandkids have been here from Virginia for the last 10 days in the house, and I've loved every minute of, well, maybe not every minute, there have been a few minutes, but most of those minutes, I have loved every minute of them being home. But hear me, guys, if we're going across the parking lot or we're walking across the street and one of them starts to bolt out, if I have to yell, stop, to keep them from getting hit by a car, I will yell, stop. If I have to pop somebody on the backside to keep from getting killed by a car, that's what I'm going to do. I love them too much to stand by and watch them get hurt. That's who our God is. That's the perfect loving father that he is. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying every time something bad happens, it's God trying to get your attention. I'm saying that God made you for significance to make a difference in this world, and he loves you too much to stand by and waste your one and only life. And if the only way he can get through to you is through difficulties, that's what he'll do rather than just stand by. So what are the four principles? Let's bring this home. First of all, when you start running from God, God God will ask you to do things you don't want to do. You have to decide if you're going to follow or not. Secondly, when he does, don't be surprised by golden parachutes that come along, opportunities to go in the exact opposite direction that look good, but they're going to take you further and further away from him if you take them. Three, if need be, he'll provide a storm to get your attention, which leads me to the fourth principle, and that is he wants you to go where he told you to go so badly that he will provide alternate transportation if you need it. Pastor Jim Gillikin, our executive pastor, phrased it that way this week, and it just stuck with me. And I thought, Jim, I'm going to quote you Sunday. He'll provide alternate transportation if you need it. Let's pick up Jonah's story in verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. The The sailors didn't want to do it. They tried to row to shore. That didn't work, so they finally agreed, and I love their, re- their response. They said, well, I, I, I guess we have no choice but to throw you overboard. God, don't, don't hold this against us. Uh, he's, telling, he's the one telling us to do this, and so we're going to do it, but please don't hold this against us. Jonah, we're sorry, and they threw him overboard, and the sea calmed as soon as they did, which brings us to the most famous part of the story in verse 17 of chapter 1. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Do your best to get that image, get that picture in your mind. Chapter 2 starts with Jonah in that belly of the fish, and there he begins to pray. I think I would too. His prayer is a teaching for another day, but for now, it ends with Jonah saying, okay, I'll do what you told me to do, Lord. Okay, you got my attention. Got it. Okay. The problem now is that he's gone so far away from where God told him to go, you might even say there's no way to get there from here. Chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish to vomit up Jonah on the shore, and it did. We could have some fun with that idea of him being vomited on the shore, but the bottom line I want you to hear is it didn't matter how far Jonah had gone away from the place that God called him to. God had a way to get him there. 
God had a way for him to range to get there in case you're thinking right now, I know what God's told me to do. I know where he's told me to go, but you don't understand how far I've come from him. Maybe it's in your relationship with him. Maybe you've kind of backburnered your faith for a while. Maybe, maybe you heard these stories as kids, and, but in recent days, weeks, months, years, you've been kind of busy with life or concerned with the craziness of our world. And now you hear God saying, I love you. I have an amazing plan for your life. I want a relationship with you. And your immediate response is, but yeah, pastor, you don't know how far I've gone. You, you don't know what I've done. I've gone so far from God, I can't get back. And the answer to you is, yes, you can. It's irrelevant how far you've gone. God will provide a way back. Maybe it's the call of God on your life. Maybe he called you to do something, to serve in some area, and you've been putting it off. You've been coming up with reasons why I would if I could, but I can't because. It's been so long now, it's almost embarrassing to admit that the call is there. But if you're honest, you've drifted far from where you were when the first, when the first call came. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, You've never gone too far to say yes. When Kim and I were in the Philippines, we got a letter from our mission board in uh, mid-80s. A lady by the name of Alice Cavanaugh lived in Pender County, North Carolina most of her life. Had a call to be a missionary to China in the 1940s. She went to Bible college. In 1948, China closed. And uh, the rebellion there shut the country down to all missionaries. And so Miss Alice was not able to follow the call that it was on her life. She soon met her husband, who was a pastor. And she decided, well, you know, maybe I was mistaken about the call. Maybe the call really was to be a minister's wife, and so she served faithfully as a pastor's wife, playing and singing in church and serving in various capacities, serving the Lord. But all the while, that call in the back of her mind was there. 25 years into her first marriage, her husband was killed in a tragic car accident, and immediately the call flashed to mind. I've got to find a way to get to the mission field. She met a man there in Pender County who was a lay person but a dedicated Christian man and they started seeing one another and he eventually asked her to marry him and she said, okay, I will, but I've got a call to missions on my life and so if we get married, you have to be willing to go to the mission field with me. And he said, of course I will, sure I will. And so she married him and soon after the wedding, he said, I ain't going overseas. She made a commitment to the marriage, and so she said, I'll honor that commitment. She was married to him for 25 years when he died. At this point, Miss Alice is in her 70s. She goes to the mission board and says, I'm called to the Philippines as a missionary. I want you to know I'm going. And they said, well, you know, we have a cutoff at 70. You, you, know, you really can't go because you're over 70. She said, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't understand. I wasn't coming to ask permission. I came to tell you I'm going to the Philippines as a missionary. Not asking for any money, 
I'd love to have your blessing, but I got to do this. Put this call off for 50 plus years. We get a letter saying, if you can help Miss Alice get situated, please receive her. And so she came. She came to our home in Baguio City, Philippines, which was the city where we, where we lived. And I traveled out from that city all over the country doing the ministry that I did. She came to our house, nice little suburban home in a suburban part of that re, a regional city. And, and she'd only been there a day or two. And she said, when can we go to the rainforest? When can we go to the Bible college that was three hours north? And I said, well, you know, it's almost Thanksgiving. Why don't, why don't we wait till after Thanksgiving and then we'll go? She said, no, I, I got to go. I got to get there. I got to be there. And so we packed up everything and took her to Harvester's Bible Institute. Some of my dear friends at Harvester's are, will be watching this service today, either now or at the 11 o'clock hour or videotape later. Miss Alice became Lola Alice, Grandma Alice. She lived on that Bible college grounds for several years. She played and sang and testified and loved on the students. She answered the call of God and died a happy, contented follower of Jesus Christ. What am I saying? It doesn't matter how long ago the call came. The only question is, will you follow? Will you do what he's called you to do? And if not, are you willing to pay the price? He has a plan for your life. It's an amazing plan. It's the best possible plan. Trust his love for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you have this plan for each of us as individuals. That even while we were in our mother's womb, according to Psalm 139, you custom designed that plan. And yes, you've given us freedom of choice. We don't have to follow that plan, but it is an amazing plan, better than anything that we dare to dream or think or ask. And if we'll just learn to trust your heart and trust your voice and follow your call, and one day we can look back on our lives with contentment knowing that we've served you in a way that not only honored you, but it changed the world, made the world a better place. And rewards were prepared for us in heaven because of it. Let Miss Alice be our example this morning. May each of us listen carefully to the voice of God. My sheep know my voice and they follow me, Jesus said. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. I'm not going to keep you, but I'm going to give you a chance to pray this prayer with me. Simple prayer, really, but it can be life-changing if you'll make it your prayer. You can say it in your own words. Say it out loud or quietly. I don't care, but something like this. Jesus, I'm listening. When you speak, I will follow. I will Shorten the lag time between hearing and obeying as much as I possibly can. I will follow you. Even when I'm not sure where it's going to take me. I will trust your heart for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us in our service today. If you prayed that prayer, I really, really, really want to know. You can text New Life to 55498. 
You can send me an email to info at bridgechurch.cc. You can put a note on your connect card. But let me know that you prayed, particularly if you've given your life to Christ. I really want to know that. He's got an amazing plan for your life. Take advantage of it. Let him speak into your life. God bless you guys. Father, thank you for bringing us in to worship together all across this land, all across this world by way of uh, the internet services that are available to us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would transcend that distance and draw us closer to you, closer to one another. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen.